Hi everyone! Welcome to the Directors Lab podcast. I'm Amy, and today I'll be talking about the 2016 science fiction film Arrival, directed by Denis Villeneuve, starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forest Whitaker. So, just in case if you don't know, this is the very first official episode of the Director vs. Director podcast. And in this season, I am watching Denis Villeneuve and Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. All right, back to Arrival. A little bit about the history I had with this film. So I first watched it in 2018, I think. And back then, I remember thinking that it was a very engaging and amusing film.、Um, And I remember writing on my film review book. Like at that time, I haven't started writing long, extensive film reviews yet. But I wrote that to be honest, I don't think I really understood what the film was talking about.、Um, the plotline was a little bit confusing to me, and I had to do a lot of research after I watched the film to fully understand what the film was talking about. Like now, watching back, I think the plotline wasn't even that complicated at all. Um, I think back then I was just like intellectually incapable to understand what was happening, or maybe I just didn't pay enough attention. So anyway, I watched it again early this year, and I was actually hesitant on whether I should record this episode because I have so much to say about this film to the point that it's getting very overwhelming, and I'm just like scared that I can't get all my thoughts across. Because I absorbed so many excess materials that this film became so much more than just a film. Like I listened to so many reviews and breakdowns,、um, podcasts, interviews, behind the scenes. I read the script, the original short story, and research into a lot of related philosophy and linguistic ideas. So it started to become like an impossible challenge to organize all my thoughts together, and at the same time not just recite what I have learned. Um, or recite other people's opinions, but focus on my own ideas. So I am going to try to stay very grounded in this episode, and fully focus on my own biggest takeaways instead of desperately trying to cover everything this film might have touched upon. And I think this is what a good movie can do. It can not only impact you so much emotionally while you're watching it. I mean, like I cried so much. Watching the ending, no matter how many times I have seen it,、um, but the film can also unravel some sort of intellectual depth and really makes you ponder about life, and opens you to a new worldview in some sense. So before I delve in very deep, I'm going to do the boring part and read a very short synopsis,、um, and just. A heads up: If you haven't watched Arrival, I don't recommend you watch,、uh, listening to this episode because this film depends a lot on the plot twist. So the plot is actually like a very, very integral part to your watching experience.、Um, all right. So the synopsis goes like: Arrival is about twelve alien spaceships arriving on Earth, and the military hired linguist Louise Banks, played by Amy Adams, to interpret their language and try to communicate with them. While she was doing that, she starts to perceive time in a non-linear way, which changes her worldview. All right, I'm going to go right in. So my favorite part of this movie is actually the first thirty minutes, or maybe twenty minutes of the film. Up until Louise's first encounter with the heptopods inside the shell, 
It's funny to say that my favorite part of the sci-fi movie is the most non-sci-fi proportion of the film, but I just loved how Denis took his time to build this atmosphere, this character, this tone and suspense before all the quote-unquote sci-fi excitement comes in. So the movie opened with a montage and ended with another montage. And I have to say, this is one of the most effective and emotionally impactful montage I have ever seen. Like when I think about the use of montage in movies, it almost feels like they're not as raw or authentic because montage relies very heavily on using film techniques such as narration, music, editing um, to invoke emotions in the audience. Or sometimes it just serves as a practical use, like sometimes to link between time. Um, and Arrival, mind you, uses all these techniques, but the emotions it delivered felt so genuine and so impactful that I personally tear up every time watching them. Um, and, I, and part of that was because it was shot in a way that's very intimate, using shallow depth of field, focusing very closely on the character's face and emotions and blurring everything else. And it uses a very impactful piece of music, Max Richards' On the Nature of Daylight, which is such a good um, music choice and works so well with both montage sequences. And... Like Denis hired, obviously hired Johan Johansson, the composer of the film, to make all these beautiful music throughout the film. But yet, I think both of them chose to use um, another piece of pretty well-known music to start and end the film. And I think that's a really good choice. Like Johan Johansson's music, they fit perfectly with the tone of the film, with the sci-fi element of the film, but Max Richards on The Nature of Daylight just like bring this montage sequence to like a whole nother level. Like it captures that sense of poignancy, yet the celebration of life so well. Um, and obviously the narration by Amy Adams, who I think has one of the most calming and soothing voice ever. Um, everything just like fit together perfectly in this montage. And I think more specifically, the montage of Arrival illustrates this one very important and big theme in a very short amount of time, and that is life itself. In the opening montage alone, you see glimpses of the entire life of a person, which was also so perfectly accompanied by the narration. Like when Louise says, this was the beginning of your life, we see birth um, of Louise's daughter, Hannah. And then she says, I remember moments in the middle. And we see these little moments of Hannah's life. And then she says, and this was the end. And we see the death of Hannah. We see this whole range of emotions um, of happiness and anger and profound sadness and loss at the end of a person's life. And it just covers so much and was so impactful that when I went back to see how long the opening montage was, I was actually very surprised that it was only about two minutes. Um, and there are also a lot of other little hints hidden in the montage, like the big lake house window, that big rectangular shape um, sort of also mirrored the big screen that Louise communicated with the heptopods through, sort of conveying a sense of detachment with the world on the other side, and yet a reverence to nature and to the heptopods. 
um, and also the spiral hospital, maybe um, metaphorically representing that time goes in circles, you know. Um, and I think because the audience tend to go into the cinema knowing that this is going to be a sci-fi film, this very grounded, family-driven montage that the film opens up with sparks curiosity and wonder, and the audience like don't know how this is going to relate to the sci-fi story, and it just draws you in immediately um, and captures your attention. And the second montage, the well, the ending montage, not really the second one. There's also another montage in about the middle of the film. Um, but the ending montage, I think it's even more impactful as you have came to know Louise's journey and I think it almost serves as an action of decision in the film's plotline. Like, it is through this montage that you understand what Louise's choices after she knows her future. But if you just focus all your attention on Amy Adams' face, on her eyes, you see all the subtleness in her expression in this montage. And you can just see those moments of sadness yet determination, the moments when she makes the decision, yes, I want to have this baby despite knowing the future, despite knowing the journey and where it leads. Um, And I think this montage helps you to justify her decision as well. Like when Ian asks, do you want to make a baby? You see these shots of child running on grass, of a tree branch representing perhaps the beauty of life, of Hannah's eyes, of Ian holding the baby in his arms. And I believe these are all the memories that flash that flash through Louise's mind while she was answering that question. She was um, remembering the future. And as she remembered those moments, she didn't want to just remember them, but to live them, to experience them. And this leads to Louise saying, yes, I want to have the baby, um, to Ian's question. And I think all these lead to one of the central philosophies of the movie and the book. Um, Like in the book, a quote that gave a really big impression on me goes like this. We regularly asked the heptapods why they had come. Each time they answered to see or to observe. And I think this happens to be the central philosophy of the lives of the heptapods, to see or to observe. By losing the sort of sensation of hope in some sense um, and the power of free will, Louise embraces the significance of the present moment as well. Because like, if you think about it, if you already know everything that happens in the future and have memories of them, why would you still carry out the carry out the exact same action according to your memories of the future? And I think the answer in the book gave us a really simple answer. Memories are different from the what you actually feel in the moment when you actually carry out the action. Like, okay, I'll read a quote from the book that's that really illustrates its idea. If the heptopods already knew everything that they would ever say or hear, what was the point of their using language at all? A reasonable question. But language wasn't only for communication. It was also a form of action, according to speech act theory. Statements like, you're under arrest, I christen this vessel, or I promise, were all performative. A speaker could perform the action only by uttering the words. For such acts, knowing 
what would be said didn't change anything. Everyone at the wedding anticipated the words, "I now pronounce you husband and wife," but until the minister actually said them, the ceremony didn't count. With performative language, saying equaled doing. For the heptapods, all language was performative. Instead of using language to inform, they used language to actualize. Sure, heptapods already knew what would be said in in any conversation, but in order for their knowledge to be true, the conversation would have to take place. And I think because the heptapods don't experience time, like their lives have no causality within, and without causality, fatalism seems like the only philosophy someone can embrace. Otherwise, life seems to lose all their meaning. And um, but you might say, okay, I get this, but we don't live like the heptapods, or we don't even live like Louise. We don't experience. We don't have memories of the future. We don't know what our future is going to be like. So, how is their way of living still applicable to our lives? And I think, in some way, we do. And that's the point of making this film and writing the story, right? Although we don't know the journey, we don't have memories of the future like Louise and the heptapods do. We do know the end. Everyone's life will end with death, and death is our fate that we can't escape. So we can still borrow the heptapods' philosophy and experience the present moment to our full capacity to feel, to observe, and to listen. And this is the only way that we can res- we can resist the sense of emptiness in our lives, knowing that death is gonna be our fate. And I think the movie and the character Louise imparted some courage to me as an audience. Like, if Louise can embrace her life experience with courage, why can't I? Like, why can't us? Living in a world where causality still exists in our minds and where we still feel a strong sense of free will. Um, why can't we embrace our life with courage and hope? And I think that's why the film looks like a tragedy in some sense and really makes you tear up. But in a lot of interviews, Denise said that this film is more hopeful than his previous films,、um, and I really felt that sense of hope in the core of this film. But anyway, that's a slight digress to the philosophical side.、Um, Maybe it's not a digress. I think that's the central message that I took away the most from this film. But in summary, the opening and closing montage scenes just reminded me so much of what Denis said in one of his interviews. Like when he was asked, "What's the most important thing in making a movie?" and he said, "Poetry." And this is exactly why I love the two montage. They're poetic. They're they there is a delicate. Craft behind it that holds the rhyme, the rhythm together, and I think these two montage are incredibly powerful emotionally, and gave me an immense sense of aesthetic pleasure. All right, so I just spent fifteen minutes talking about the two montage that make up probably five minutes of the film, but I think they're really important. To me, and、um, they gave me like a lot of emotional impact. But、uh, anyway, so after the first opening montage,、um, we sort of just follow Louise around for a solid like fifteen minutes before she goes to the base camp to meet the heptapods. And personally, I love love films when not much happens, but there's just like this mood and this atmosphere being conveyed. 
And that's why I really enjoy this 15 minutes so much, probably more than the entire rest of the film. And I especially love when films convey a sort of profound loneliness through its central character or any character, whether it's a disconnection the character has with everyone else or the failing of communication. Um, I digress a little bit here, but I remember seeing Manchester by the Sea and what stayed with me the most from that film without even realizing it was not all the dramatic flashbacks of the death of the children, the fire, the traumatic experiences um, of in that film, but it was the first few sequences of the main character himself when he was being a janitor in Boston um, before he returns to his hometown and really interacts with other people, other characters in the film. And especially this one particular scene when the main character was shoveling snow on a winter day in Boston, that sort of profound loneliness and disconnection was something that delivered so well in the first 20 minutes of Arrival 2. And in that, I felt like it captured um, a sense of disconnection with the outside world. That's, that really resonate with, resonated with me and I felt in my daily lives. And especially like today, we're always wearing face mask and sometimes I wear a hat and I can just feel like there's like this thin veil between me and the rest of the world. Um, so in this opening sequence, we follow Louise to the university, to her work, where she was teaching in this very soft and almost monotone voice. Like she strikes me as a professor who's almost disconnected to her students. Um, and after the class was dismissed, she walked out of the classroom, out of the building. It was a bit chaotic and these two cars crashed into each other and the owners were like obviously yelling at each other um, and you know Louise took a moment had a look but all these chaos just seemed somehow detached from her like the world is obviously in panic right but she doesn't show her panic doesn't have someone to latch on to this in this time of panic and uncertainty she just returns home by herself to her very beautiful isolated lake house and there were a lot of scenes of her just watching the news on her own on her television by herself and I love how she just like slept with the television on and I think that somehow conveyed a very specific quietness and calmness that juxtaposes with all these chaos that's happening in the world and in the news um in the screen of the television and it's so specifically portrayed what I felt personally a lot of the time seeing the news of these chaotic world events and being emotionally affected by this by the content but after I shut, shut off my phone I realized that I'm just sitting in my quiet room little room alone as usual um, and everything that I just saw in the screen is seemingly very far away and unrelated to my life and this is like a very specific feeling and I love how the script chose to take on this point of view and Denise just portrayed the mood beautifully. Also, when I was watching the film, I thought Louise's posture when she was sleeping was very authentic. This is like a very little thing, but like she was almost like curled up um, and she doesn't have like blanket on and was latching onto a pillow. And in so many movies, the characters are always sleeping in these like perfect posture that almost looks staged like when I read the script this specificity of her sleeping posture was actually written in the script 
And I was like very surprised by that. Like the script says, um, Louise is asleep in bed. The covers are a mess. She's spooning extra pillows as if they were a bedfellow. This was like emphasized another time. Louise is asleep in her bed, again with the formation of pillows around her. Like these details really somehow touched me and made a strong impression in my mind. And it was very interesting picking these out when I was reading the script. Also, the script I read was the final shooting draft finalized, I believe, on August the 20th, 2015. And I know there's also like an earlier 2012 draft, um, which was apparently very different. But I think I had to pay to read that version, so I didn't buy it. But there was this whole interview that the screenwriter, Eric Heiser, did that went into like a lot of specific details in that earlier draft. Um, But anyway, I'll read a few more descriptions of Louise in these earlier scenes because they somehow just like really touched me. Okay, so Louise carries herself like someone who's learned how to be alone, handling her briefcase, coffee, keys, etc. Louise crosses campus, absorbed in her thoughts. She stares into the empty room with a quiet sadness. So, you know, I think from the script um, and to the film, they really just portrayed Louise as this very internal person. And obviously for audience watching it for the first time from the opening montage, they will naturally conclude that, okay, so this quietness within her is rooted from sadness, from the loss of her child. But if you finish the film and go back, you realize that no, actually she hasn't lost a child at that point in her life. Um, so for me, watching it a second time, I never perceive her quietness to stem from sadness anymore, but more from a sense of calmness, a gentleness, someone who has found a calmness within her, who has defeated um, overtly portraying her emotions and values tranquility of the heart. And in some sense, this is the sort of person that I strive to become in my life, not easily defeated and taken over by emotions, but really found an inner calmness um, that makes her courageous when facing great joys and sorrows of life. And I'm just really touched when this sort of character and more specifically female leads are portrayed on the big screen. And just a sidetrack here, but I really think this movie did a really good job at portraying this female character who has both intellectual and emotional depth to her, who is courageous but also has this touching vulnerability, which I also must give credit to Amy Adams because she is amazing at portraying vulnerability in her character and yet maintaining a sort of strength. Um, And with a female lead who is so predominantly the lead that really every other character in this film is just like there to serve her plot. This film did such a good job to not be feminist in any way. That's like waving a flag saying, see, this is our central female role, strong and brave, we're mistreated. No, it never portrayed Louise like that. Like no other characters judge her based on her gender, but only solely from her actions and decisions as a linguist, um, a professor, a partner. And I think this sort of portrayal of a woman in film is way more powerful than movies that have this big label of feminism on it and really just does nothing but constantly screams women's rights and quality. But going back to Louise 
herself. As I was saying, I remember Amy Adams in her interview said that because the audience was led to believe where she came from was the specific loss of the child, but later learned that it was not. She needed to create her own version of a backstory for her character to justify for herself why she has this profound loneliness within her. And she said that she knows exactly what her mother was saying to her on the phone. This is really interesting because going back to um, Manchester by the Sea, the main character was in that state of loneliness and detachment because, strangely enough, has experienced the loss of his children, which the audience will learn later in the film, which justifies his sort of disconnection from the world. So I would imagine the actor was building that sort of emotional state of the character um, based off these backstory. But Arrival was like a, was totally the opposite. Like there's no backstory for the actress to build up on, but a future that the main character does not know. Um, but the audience were le- was led to believe was the past. And this also sets Louise apart from the character from Manchester by the Sea, who's, I think his name was Lee, I, I believe. Because Lee was like a totally different person before he experienced that specific loss, which we can see in the flashback. Like he was playful, he was very outgoing, he was sort of careless um, as a character before she lost, uh, he lost his child. But for Louise, it's different. We came to realize that this quietness and cal- calmness within her, this loneliness, was already in her nature before and after she lost the child. Um, and this was not something that was only in the film or in the movie, but in the original short story by Ted Chiang as well. Like he has already painted this very vivid picture of Louise, which was almost juxtaposing Louise's daughter's personality. And after I read the short story, I really thought it was a bit of a pity that the film didn't get to explore the mother-daughter relationship between Louise and Hannah a bit more. Because Like in the film, we really only got to see Hannah for a tiny bit in the quick flash forwards and in the montage. But they're like really, but they're like longer snippets between the two of them in the book. Um, I'll read a few passages from the book because I think from these, you can just straight away grasp the personality of both. And I think that the book really helped me to understand Louise as a character more. Um, okay, so this is this paragraph is when Louise is speaking first person and addressing Hannah as you, because the whole book, um, the whole book flashes between Louise talking to her daughter, addressing her as you, kind of like writing her a letter, and when Louise is at the base camp with Ian, basically the main plot of the story when they were trying to communicate with the heptopods. Alright, so this paragraph goes like this. Oh man, you'll say, they're not kidding when they say that body weight makes a difference. I didn't drink any more than the guys did, but I got so much drunker. I'll try to maintain a neutral, pleasant expression. I'll really try. Then you'll say, oh, come on, mom. What? You know you did the exact same things when you were my age. I did nothing of the sort. I know that if I were to admit that, you lose respect for me completely. You know never to drive or get into a car if... God, I know that. Of course I know that. Do you think I'm an idiot? 
No, of course not. What I'll think is that you're clearly, maddeningly not me. It will remind me again that you won't be a clone of me. You can be wonderful, a daily delight, but you won't be someone I could have created myself. Um, and in the book, also Hannah lived all the way till she was twenty-five, as opposed to dying in her teenage years in the film. Um, and in the book, in the book, she actually started working. <clears throat> For example, here Louis says, "And after graduation, you'll be heading for a job as a financial analyst. I won't understand what you do there. I won't even understand your fascination with money, the preeminence you gave to salary when negotiating job offers. I would prefer, I would prefer it if you'd pursue something without regard for its monetary rewards. But I'll have no complaints." My own mother could never understand why I couldn't just be a high school English teacher. You'll do what makes you happy, and that'll be all I ask for. All right, I'll read one last part of Hannah speaking to Louise. <clears throat> okay, Mom. Okay, you can come with me. Just walk a little way behind me, so it doesn't look like we're together. If I see any friends of mine, I'm gonna stop and talk to them. But you just keep walking, okay? I'll come and find you later. Like this is so typical teenage girl. Like they don't want to be seen with their mom by their friends. They want to be independent. And Hannah is portrayed to be a lot more worldly and secular than Louise. More outgoing in a sense, I guess. She obviously goes to parties and belongs to like the popular girls, and is very clever, but values those monetary pleasures,、um, and of course loves adventures like. Rock climbing, which is what ultimately resulted in her death in the book, and this somehow I think might have rooted from the very protective protective nature of Louise,、um, because Louise knew that her daughter's gonna die, so she's always been very protective of her, and that sort of、um, resulted in Hannah's adventurous nature, I guess, rebellious nature, and which led to her death. From the rock climbing accident in the end of the book,、um, but yeah, she was just like portrayed to be very different to Louise. Like in the book, Louise didn't go to any parties when she was younger.、Um, she went to these languages academic programs in her school years. Was much quieter and more reserved, more fearful in some way.、Um, but I just loved the interactions of the mother and the daughter, and really wish that they. Develop this more than like the boring and somehow cliche political plotline that I really didn't like. And speaking of that, the film can be really broken down into two plotlines. One was the internal enlight enlightenment of Louise, characterized by her starting to see the future、um, and to embrace this new perspective of her life. And that plotline has its own beginning, middle, and end. Has its own climax and final resolution. But the other one, which I strongly think it's just there because it has to be there. It's like a Hollywood film. It just has to have a more explicit plotline.、Um, but it's the whole political plot with the military. General Sheng, like from China, wanting to.、Uh, Bomb the world or something like? Oh no, not not bomb the world. Like, 
But there was like all these bombs going on, and then like Louise and Ian ultimately saving the world, stuff like that. And like there was like a countdown at the end, like a three, two, one moment in every typical Hollywood film.、Um, like if she was one second late, it's too late, and the world would have like got into chaos or something.、Um, and I'm not gonna talk too much about. That plotline because I like don't really like it that much. But I remember the cinematographer Bradford Young mentioning that he used different lenses to distinguish between the two different worlds. One was obviously sharper,、um, and the scenes with her daughter was much softer and using a lot of shallow depth of field. And in the book, there was like no plotline on General Shang and. The po- political side of things, you know, like it was all added in the script.、Um, and another part I don't like as much was the dialogue. I think some of the dialogue, like I really like the narration at the beginning and at the end, but I think some of the dialogue seem a little bit、um, like it just brings me out of the film and out of the mood sometimes. Like sometimes they use like very short. Sentences to answer each other each other's questions. This is very specific. But I remember, like the kangaroo scene. A lot of people like that kangaroo scene, but the colonel was like saying something, and then Louise interrupted. She was like kangaroo, and then the colonel was like excuse me, and then Louise tells part of the story and then stops, and then the colonel was like, so what does that mean or something like that, and then Louise continues to explain the rest of the story. I'm like. Hmm. Who communicates like that? I get, I get it. Like in a film, there's some sort of like dramatic, you know, ways of speaking. Like in a lot of films, I really like the way that that they speak are so different to like daily life talks. But still, I don't know. Like it just didn't work very well with me. Sorry. I will stop talking about the shortcomings and. Going back to Denis for a bit because I really do love his films. So having seen four of his movies by now, I really think he is a master at shooting the action of act characters entering a new place,、um, with the word "entering" highlighted, underlined, bolded. For example, in Dune, when the Atreides first entered Arrakis,、um, and in Sicario, when Emily Blunt's character first entered the borders of Mexico. And of course, in Arrival, when Louise first entered the show, like first I noticed. First of all, I noticed how he put a lot of emphasis on these entrances. Like before the entrance, he took a long time building the central character.、Um, like in Arrival, how we followed Louise around to work, to home, and really we built a connection with her. So we, when she enters the show, we really feel like we're experiencing it with her. We're on her side.、Um, And we followed like a similar approach in Dune and in Sicario as well. He took a lot of time dedicated to shooting like a very very slow entrance. Like in Arrival, <clears throat> there are technically two entrance scenes. What right? The first one was、um, the one from the helicopter. Like when they first saw this beautiful closer shell from the helicopter, and I just thought the design of that was like. So on point. It felt really simple, like design of the shell. It was like very simple yet 
very mysterious and otherworldly, but not intimidating or out of place. It felt like it felt strangely in harmony with nature around it, the beautiful green land、um, and mist of Montreal, where they shot the film. In all the three films that I just mentioned, Dune, Arrival, and Sicario, and all the three entrances I just mentioned, he used this deep droning music. Like in Arrival, it was composed by Johan Johansson, and that really emphasized the sacredness of the land. Also in Dune and Arrival, I found the music style to be very similar in some sense, although they're by different composers.、Um, in Dune, it's by Hans Zimmer, but Arrival, I think it was less overpowering. Like I don't think in any sense my attention was completely focused on the music, ex- except for the montage. But in Dune, I often find the music so loud that its presence is so noticeable. Not saying that's necessarily bad, but just like a slightly different approach. Although the music style is somehow similar, like like that deep droning、um, in the background. And the second entrance in Arrival was, of course, when Louise and Ian first entered the shell, and that was shot very slowly, like from them sitting in the cart in their hazmat suits, then just like driving very slowly towards the shell, to them being lifted up and first touching the surface of the shell. And obviously going in and that whole anti gravity thing, it was a very slow sequence. And throughout the whole sequence, we could just constantly hear Louise's breathing the entire time. And I have to say, this really reminded me of 2001: Space Odyssey when <clears throat> Stanley Kubrick shot this maddeningly long sequence where we could just hear the character breathing inside his space helmet, just. Repeatedly,、um, endlessly breathing, one breath by one breath. It was so distressing to hear to a point that it just felt really suffocating.、Um, and that was somehow used in Arrival as well, when Louise was like breathing in her hazmat suit, and also the anti gravity thing, like how Denis shot it like upside down. There was also a scene like that in Space Odyssey, and this entire. Slow entrancing, like the whole anti gravity thing, was all introduced by Denis. Like in an interview with Eric Heiser, the screenwriter, he said that this was not on the script at all.、Um, and originally, he just wrote a scene when the characters just walk through this tunnel. And speaking of that, I really thought the screenwriter of this film was not the strongest. And again, the biggest problems I have with the film was like about the script. I think if it was not Denis who was shooting this film and Amy Adams. Being the central character,、um, it probably won't be such a strong film. <clears throat> But anyway, that entrance scene was also like one of the first time we really saw the vulnerability of Louise. We saw her as being incredibly nervous through her heavy breathing the whole time, as if she was suffocating and wanting to just back off. Um, and we can really just sense her physical discomfort, which perpetuated throughout the entire rest of the film as well. Again, in an interview, Amy Adams said that Denis wanted her to portray a feeling of constantly being a bit seasick, a bit of dizziness.、Um, and while she was shooting that film in the character of Louise, she had a stomachache the whole time, which just went away after shooting. I thought that sense of sickness was so well portrayed from both the director and the actor. 
um, and just really heightened the atmosphere of this film. I have felt so many times that physical discomfort, whether it's like a churning stomach ache or just like wanting to vomit just due to my mentality. So I think it was pretty amazing that a film can portray that sense of feeling through the screen. Again, credit to both Denis and Amy. Um, but going back, Denis's emphasis on the ceremony and like poetry of films reminded me that these are what drew me to the art of filmmaking and cinema in the first place. And I have almost like forgotten and neglected how important the sense of poetry are in a film until I saw it again in Denise's film. Probably because I watched too many Hollywood films um, before I watched this. <laughs> and I think the sense of poetic poignancy and slowness and atmosphere is also why many people are arguing it is not a sci-fi in a conventional sense. It's more just using the sci-fi element to tackle some philosophical ideas or human experiences that's very personal and intimate. And I remember when I was talking to my dad, he said that he didn't enjoy this film as much because he thought it was not really a sci-fi, but more like an independent art film in some way. And I agree with him to some, to some extent, but that's exactly why I really love this film. I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan um, and not the biggest action movie fan, and I, I just love like researching and looking into the philosophical sides of the film and doing like this character study of a very strong character that's being portrayed. Okay, so I think I covered most of the things I want to say about this film. I mean, I can say a lot more. I can do more research and expand forever on the philosophy this film touched upon. Um, well, overall, I think this film has like three central philosophical concepts that appeal to me. Um, fatalism, causality, and language philosophy. And for causality, there's like this whole lot of ph philosophical concept on Condé's causality theory. And for language, um, the film briefly talked about the Sapphire-Whorf hypothesis, which states that the grammatical and more verbal structure of a person's language influences how they perceive the world and it emphasizes that language either determines or influences one's thoughts. Um, I don't think I know about these concepts enough to talk extensively about them, um, so I'm not going to go into the deta details of philosophy and linguistics today because I am not a philosophy or linguistics student. Um, so they're not my areas of expertise. But also this film is definitely the first time in my life when I paid any close attention to the field of linguistics. Um, I didn't really know that much about linguistics at all before I watched this film. Okay, so I think that brings me to the end of this episode. I gave this film a 4 out of 5 stars overall, but I think what's special about it was that it definitely introduced me to a lot of ideas and concepts beyond the scope of this film. Um, Alright, I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and hopefully I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now! Mm -hmm.